1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Medical Director for the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMC. October is National ADHD Month. That's Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So today, call in to get those questions answered about your child, your partner, or maybe yourself. We can talk about the diagnosis, the treatment with medication or not, and the long-term outcome. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio.
2: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit MPBOnline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Good morning, and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Yeah, the diagnosis has been out there for a long time. There's been a lot of discussion over the many years that the diagnosis has been out. The name has changed numerous times. This has been sort of a stable name, though. ADHD is what we'll talk about today. Um, An old diagnosis, like I said, but with so much misunderstanding. There are a lot of myths that have long surrounded it, a lot of misinformation out there. Um, And so today, I hope to answer any questions that you have about yourself, your child, your significant other, perhaps a friend, um, or maybe just in general, even if you don't know anybody that has the diagnosis, what your thoughts are and what your questions might be. So today certainly um, is sort of an open day. You can call about anything you want to know about ADHD or, or uh, comorbidity, one of those diagnoses that sort of goes along with it. You can give give me a call today at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Um, let's start just a little bit about some, some basic, very basic things about ADHD. Um, as you, you probably know, there is this long list of symptoms that you can have um, to be diagnosed with ADHD. There is no blood test. There is no uh, diagnostic test that one can do as far as an X-ray, a head scan, um, any kind of blood level or anything like that. We just don't have that. Now, there's a lot of research going on that has looked with functional MRIs and, and other scan scanning devices, ways to look at what's going on in the brain that's different from individuals with ADHD and individuals who don't have ADHD. And, and there certainly um, have been some um, noted differences. For example, we've talked about this many times on the radio, uh, the prefrontal cortex. That's the area of the brain in the front part of the brain, that helps with what's called executive function. That's problem solving, um, being able to sort of reason things out quickly, uh, paying attention, staying on task, all that. Is uh, seems to be mostly executed in the executive function area, or the prefrontal cortex. So we know that in individuals who have had functional MRIs, that uh, many times the prefrontal cortex does not light up as well. Um, and certainly, we know that as the brain matures, that that area uh, matures. Later, in, in all of us, but, but certainly in individuals with ADHD, it doesn't appear to uh, mature as early as, say, the average person without ADHD. With that said, um, most individuals who are diagnosed with ADHD get better uh, as years go on. Not all. But most, almost always, if they have hyperactivity, the hyperactivity gets better, with or without treatment, okay? So, with that said, um, we're back to, but do we use these tests to generally make the diagnosis? No, we do not. They're expensive tests. Um, If you have a positive test with the area that's not lighting up, that prefrontal cortex is not lighting up as it should, does that mean that one should go to medication treatment? And the answer is no, uh, that has not been established as a gold standard as to whether or not we know we should treat with medication or not. And so with that said, um, it, of course, insurance companies have not approved using anything like that for the diagnosis. It's very expensive. Um, we would probably flood the gates with uh, doing that test if it were an approved test. And um, we might have difficulty uh, taking care of other individuals who who need tests for things such as... Um, Uh, brain tumors or um, other concerns, uh, Alzheimer's or other issues. And so with that said, I'm not promoting for or against. It's just that at this point, a positive test does not necessarily mean that you need a medicine or not or that you um, at this point have an absolute positive diagnosis for that. So it basically, ADHD is one of those diagnoses of exclusions. You try to rule out everything else that can cause difficulty with paying attention. And then once you've ruled out all those other things... Um, Then you can, if you have the symptoms that are listed um, as diagnostic of ADHD that are listed in our diagnostic and statistical manual put out by the American Psychiatric Association, That's sort of the gold standard that we use to make the diagnosis. But it says very clearly in that um, diagnostic criteria from uh, DSM, uh, five, uh, is that we have to make sure we rule out other things. We have to make sure that the symptoms are longstanding. They didn't just suddenly appear. We have to make sure that there were symptoms that were quite notable prior to age 12. So there are several things that we have to step through as we're looking at ADHD or, or not. So if you have any thoughts or questions or concerns about the diagnosis, whether it's with yourself or with a significant other, give us a call. This is a good time for you to get your questions asked. You can call 1877 MPB ring that that's 1 18776727464. So let's talk a little bit about who gets it, um, who gets ADHD. Uh, you may have seen in the recent literature that, that it used to be that about 5%, maybe 7% of the population in the U.S. Um, is diagnosed with ADHD, meets the criteria for ADHD. But um, the Center for Disease Control just came out with a statement saying, um, just I believe it was last month, saying that there has been an increase in the diagnosis from, um, say, uh, that one in five, I mean, sorry, 5% to uh, 7% all the way up to 10%. So now it appears that that one in 10 of our population has uh, ADHD or is diagnosed and, and treated with, uh, for ADHD. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about treatment in a, f- a few minutes. But, but what do you think might be the increase in the diagnosis of ADHD? Are we, are we better at it? Are we better at the treatment? Um, Is it perhaps uh, better at the diagnosis, rather? Or is it perhaps that uh, we're using it often as an excuse? Do you think it might be overdiagnosed? Or is there something um, new out there that is maybe causing the increasing difficulties that we're having with um, individuals who meet the criteria of having ADHD, Um, what do you think are those issues? It might be um, one of those, or it might be several of those. Um, What we do know, though, is that we are having increasing problems and increasing number of individuals who are placed on medication for ADHD, which... um, Maybe the right thing to do, but there are a lot of individuals in the medical field who are certainly concerned about this. Okay, with that said, let's go on to our first caller. We have Alicia. Good morning, Alicia, and Meridian calling in. Good morning. Uh, well, thanks for starting off our conversation. Tell us what your thoughts are.
0: Well, I was just wondering if you think that ADHD could possibly be environmental. Um, I have a child that I adopted from um, Russia Uh whenever he was two years old. So he was in a, you know, a very controlled environment at that time. Right. And he did good up until about the time that he started kindergarten and stuff, and that's when we started noticing it. And I just wonder if those early developmental years, the first two and a half years, with him being in such a structured environment and then going out to the big world where everything is constantly happening around you, if sensory overload like that could have something to do with the development of ADHD.
1: Oh, Alicia, that is such a good question, and and actually there, there has been a lot of uh, look at how much is nurture and how much is nature. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, we know that ADHD can be inherited. We know that, and it does seem to be... Uh, it, it, there, it's been shown through twin studies that it's highly heritable. Um, uh, very often, individuals who have parents with ADHD inherit it. Um, it's also been shown, though, in um, in some instances, environmentally uh, issues can. Um, Cause a, a child to have maybe more or less symptoms of something like ADHD and certainly other disorders and we can talk about those as we move along um, you adopted a child from Russia so we know that many times in the orphanages in, in Russia from a nurturing standpoint there just wasn't a lot that was ongoing um, that there was probably some um, you know because of the crowding's many other reasons. There were some, um, some nurturing deficits that, that went on. There is also some concern about other issues that a child is exposed to during pregnancy, whether that be um, alcohol, which we know can markedly increase the risk of having ADHD and other learning difficulties. And then you brought uh the the sensory, like you said, the highly organized the the highly structured um uh, environment that your child was in before he came to live with you. This is a boy or a girl, I'm sorry. I- I miss a the ball. ginger, oh, little boy. <laughs> Boys, by the way, are do seem to be at higher risk, but some research is showing that maybe that's not so true. With all that said, your your son um, had several possible reasons. I don't know how much you know about the prenatal history, Um, what he was exposed to prior to going to the orphanage, or was he placed there right after birth, uh, whether he was exposed to alcohol in utero or not. But those are all issues. And then your point is, um, even in your home, maybe you were very organized and very structured um, and very focused on him. And so then you get into a school where all of the sudden there are 20 or 25 um, kids in a classroom. And um, it's it's much harder in a bigger group to pay attention, stay in task, not to be overly active um when when you're in a larger group than it is in a small focus group, and certainly in your home. Clearly you wanted this little guy because you went after him,
0: <laughs> right? Yes, ma'am.
1: <laughs> so did you see any signs or symptoms at all before he entered the classroom?
0: Not, not really, but, I mean, he was not even exposed to, like, um, animals, like a dog or a cat that we mm-hmm. had,
1: mm-hmm. had
0: never been in a bathtub, had never had a lot of different foods. Right. So he was definitely turned on to high sugar foods <laughs> whenever he could get the chance. Right. And so it was just, it was a lot. He hadn't, you know, been out outside much. He hadn't been you a, he had never been in a car.
3: So yeah. just yeah. The whole so, world around him was just
1: And you adopted you know, him at what age?
0: He was two years and one month old.
1: Two years, one month. So that is a very long time. And we've talked about the the early brain development and from from birth to three the 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 brain is doing amazing things. Over a million synapses are happening um, per second in the first year or so of life. And so when you're not exposed, sometimes those pathways aren't laid down as well as they should be in the brain. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that that you can't recover, uh, but sometimes oh, it— Oh, yes. It... He's
0: 21 now and out on his own. And oh,
1: wonderful. <laughs>
0: And he's doing well? Oh, he's doing great. Good.
1: Well, you know, he was one of the lucky ones. Um, Had he remained in an environmentally deprived situation as he was in that orphanage, um, as you describe, then we know the outcome would have been incredibly different so Alicia you save that little guy but your question absolutely is right that environment can can set the stage for what you have to deal with later so thanks well, first. Thanks so much for starting us off in our conversation on ADHD and other listeners please give us a call. This is a good time to talk about your specific cases or maybe thoughts or questions about how it's diagnosed, how it's treated, maybe some successes that you've had or some failures. You can give us a call at 1877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org to join the conversation. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We'll be right back.
2: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back. This is relatively speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we today are talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ADHD. What it is. Um, how do you make the diagnosis? What do you do when the diagnosis is made? And um, and then from you, I want to hear some questions, some successes, um, maybe some failures, maybe some thoughts about what may be the cause are. Or what may be making it worse as we move along? We have a greater number of individuals being diagnosed and treated with medication than ever in the U.S. Um, Why is that? What has made that number increase? Is the number true? Are we making the diagnosis when we shouldn't? Are we treating with medication when we shouldn't? And during the break, a question came in about um, when the diagnosis of ADHD is made, is medication always necessary? Is medication something that you should always need to go to? Um, because is that, the question was, is it a chemical imbalance or something determined just by a written test? Well, that's a, a good question. Um, We know um, through studies that ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, appears to be a deficiency of... um, dopamine, either at the nerve endings, either because the deficiency is there because we don't make enough or because the connection doesn't happen. We know that medications that improve the length that the dopamine, that neurochemical, stays at the nerve ending uh, if we can improve the length of time it stays there, then attention span gets better. Okay, that's one thing we know. Do we go in and measure those chemicals in an individual's um, body? No, we don't. That's not done um, through blood tests. Um, theoretically, it can be done. I mean, certainly it has been done, but that is not something that, that we do to make the diagnosis so the question the the sort of bottom line to the question was are medicines always necessary and the answer is no um for for many reasons there're different degrees of adhd first of all so if one has mild problems if they meet the criteria but they're only mild problems, um, then certainly you would want to make some behavioral modifications to help um, before you would just jump into treating with uh, medication. Because from the outset, let me just say that any medication, any medication, and that goes for aspirin, um, acetaminophen, Tylenol, um, Advil, antibiotics, um, ADHD medicines of any sort. Any medication has the risk of side effects, any medication. And so um, one shouldn't use medication unless there's an absolute need. That's just a bottom line. So there are other um, treatments for ADHD from a behavioral standpoint. There's some educational accommodations that can be made, and we can talk about those as we move along. But to 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 think that when one has the diagnosis, especially in a younger child, do you have to jump to medicine immediately? The answer is absolutely not, nor should you. Um, behavioral intervention should be the first step in most cases. And we'll talk about when maybe that might be a different case. Um, but if you have any questions along that line, do call at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Well, let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, we have Kathy and Natchez with a comment. Good morning, N- Kathy.
4: Good morning. How are y'all today?
1: Great. Thanks for calling. Tell us what your comment is.
4: Well, I got a comment, and uh, I think I'm going to break it real quick into three parts, because I'll be all over the place. Um, (laughs) Okay. When I went there to Rochester to have them doing tests and trying to figure out with myself, I'm 52 years old, like what's going on with me? But one thing they did tell me was the depression, but they told me I was also an adult attention deficit.
1: Uh-huh.
4: But relating to that, I have a son. He's now, uh, what, uh, 26, 27 years old. When he was born, and I have three girls, and they did fine through school, but my son, when we were in Georgia, he was really struggling. And when he was in, got into middle school, they wanted to put him on the medicine because I paid to get him tested. And they said he was like a borderline attention deficit. Mm-hmm. And so I remember uh, meeting with the uh, counselor, the psychologist, and um, they put him on the medicine, and they told me to try it on him for a weekend. So when I tried it on him, that one day, that, that first day I put him on it, I saw he actually sat down in the floor in the living room. He got a picture, and I still have it today. And he sat there, and he colored that picture without any distractions whatsoever. And that just amazed me. And then he gave it to me. Uh I remember my nephew coming to mess with him while he was doing some homework. And usually he'll get distracted and play or whatever. He just looked at my nephew and just kind of shooed him off. And went on to doing his homework. But in short, he didn't like the way the medicine made him feel. It made him feel like he said, like kind of like a zombie. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. I had
4: a struggle with him trying to keep him on it, but he wouldn't take it anymore. Yeah. But he did have his struggles through school, but the counselors gave me a good point. There's a lot of kids that can endure it when they're going through that uh, stage and uh, may not need the medicine, but. You know, they kind of compare it like, if your child had diabetes and needed insulin. But if they have it and they really can't concentrate and it's just a temporary thing that maybe they might take it to just help them get through school, then, you know, that should be something that they consider. Yeah. And then the third thing I want to talk about is I have a cousin now, he's 18 and he's And back in high school again, because he was out for a while, but he's back in high school. And I'm so proud of him. He's in Minnesota. But he dealt with attention deficit. And I remember going over my aunt's house, and he would just be all over the place. Uh And then when they gave him the medicine, he was just calm, collected. He was getting his homework done. But I was asking him about that about a a month ago. And I asked him, uh, did he still take the medicine? He said, no. And I said, well, how are you? He said, I just grew out of it. So Uh I thought about what you said.
1: Right. Temporary thing, but that's my comment. Okay, Kathy, thank you for calling in. Boy, you've got a lot of experience in this, and and I will just say you're pointing out something um, that that it does seem to be fair um, highly genetic uh, in some families. There are other things that can cause it, but the the genetics is a big piece. Um, I hear all of the time that children. Um, not just young kids, but older kids too. Teens express this a lot. They don't like the way the medicine makes them feel. Um, we are better than we were 26 years ago with medications. We have... Um, long-acting medications that don't give a spike-and-valley kind of treatment. So when it spikes, it kind of paralyzes you and makes you feel like a zombie, and then then it goes away, and so you get ups and downs during the day on the short-acting medicines. I'm a big proponent for long-acting medicines because I don't like hearing that it, it changes personality. So the goal should always be... That it does not change your personality, it does not make you feel zombie-like, but it only makes you pay attention. So always the very lowest starting dose is what one should be started on. If somebody started on a mid-range dose because uh, they're bigger, that's just the wrong way to go. There are some very large individuals who need just a really low dose. So you have to be very careful about that. And then on your your last comment on your nephew who who said he grew out of it. Like I said, as as individuals get older, the brain matures, and there is very good evidence that by 25, um, or even in the late 20s for some males, um, they may continue to have um, maturation of that front part of their brain, that executive function. So as it gets better, um, the, the ADHD symptoms go away. The same thing goes. For one, as they get older, the dose need for treatment sometimes goes down, not up, as has been mistaught over the years. So those are some just some points that I wanted to make sure – um, as we talked about your three different cases, adult ADHD can exist. Um, you, can, you should have had symptoms prior, and I bet you did, Kathy, but... Um, also there are often comorbidities that go along with it. Depression also alone can make it difficult for you to pay attention. So those are all different things. You really need when you're looking at somebody to treat you for ADHD, you make sure you need to make sure you need to have someone who really knows what they're doing knows what to treat first. If there's depression, obviously, you should treat that first before ADHD. Um, And we can talk more about that as we move along. Um, But I appreciate your call, Kathy. And um, you certainly have had a lot of experiences. Um, Before we go to our next break, let's go to Dale in Vicksburg. Dale, thanks for calling. You have a son with ADHD?
5: Uh, yes, my oldest son, uh, 11 years old, I have three kids and, uh, you know, when he was younger, you know, we kind of noticed that he was a little different than the, you know, the other two kids, just, you know, very much more active and stuff, but, you know, just and, and couldn't pay attention. Well, when he got in school, uh, he started having a lot of problem reports coming from school. Like, you know, he'd two or three times a week. He'd get yellow faces a couple of times a month, red faces.
1: Right. And,
5: uh. So well, then we, you know, we took him to, to the doctor and we were like, hey, you know, this is what's happening. And, and the doctor, when he actually saw it, had ADHD uh, himself and was like, yeah, this is what I believe it is. Well, they gave him the medicine, um, and then he went back to school, and he finished the entire year out with green faces after that. And it's interesting cause the other color mentioned the zombie. Right. Um, I was scared about that because I heard that a lot. But with, with him, uh, if he took it and you'd seen him before and after taking it, you wouldn't hardly notice that there was a difference at all. I mean, he was still far more active than the other kids, but it just brought him together enough, I think, to, to, to sit in class and, and be able to pay attention to do what he need to do. I mean, we don't give him any outside of school, and the dosage is literally made to last through the school day
1: mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm curious, Dale, do you mind telling us what medication he is on
5: Oh, uh, he's on Adderall.
1: Uh-huh. I so guess... The-
5: they started him on a five, and then they gave him a 10 uh, time uh-huh. release because uh-huh. the five was only last in the morning. Right. The afternoon was having issues. Yeah.
1: So yeah. So that means that your son was on the dose that he needed to be on i just i love hearing that that he's still active and and interactive and wants to be around other people, but at the same time is able to attend to task. And so that that's the perfect dose. I think one one issue that that we've often gotten into with the treatment of ADHD and and I, I have to blame uh, primary care providers and specialists for this is that so many times we try to get to perfection and so we push the dose up higher. So, yes, they're perfect all the time in school, but they also um, are a little bit paralyzed. And we need to stay away from that and realize that some kids are extroverts, some kids are introverts, some kids are going to be more active and interactive than others. And to try to make everybody the same is absolutely wrong. So I'm glad to hear that's the kind of success, Dale, that I love to hear. And I'm, I'm happy to hear your son uh, made it through. So is he a successful adult? Oh,
5: he's still currently 11 right now. He's oh, 11, oh right. he's but, a yeah, little he's, guy still good. He's doing great.
1: Yeah. Doing great. Well, good. Well, thanks for your call. And uh, you, you pointed out what, what we as parents need to be asking for As we're moving along for the treatment, if a child's going to be treated for ADHD, it needs to be, uh, with medication, a low dose, a dose that does not change their personality, and a dose that allows them to feel good and interact, or it's the wrong treatment. Um, Jay, is it okay if we go on to the next caller? I think we'll stay on the lines um, before our next break. We have Stephanie who's been very patiently waiting in Arkansas. Hi, Steph.
3: Hi. Thanks
1: for calling. You have some comments about dopamine.
3: Yes. I am a Traeger practitioner, and I uh, spoke at Harvard to a group of scientists about um, the research on brain and there was a keynote speaker called John Ratay, R-A-T-A-Y, who basically linked the movement and the the, um, exercise component and the fact that the rise in ADHD came when they reduced recess and there's been linkages of how the brain's um, chemistry responds to movement and So the fact that the neurotransmitters that are released from vigorous movement actually bathes the brains, and that's part of the reason that um, children are able to either concentrate or not. So that, I thought, was just very interesting, and in my own practice, Traeger is a form of neuromuscular reeducation. The way that we use our bodies affects our brains.
1: Uh, good good comments and I, I think that one one issue that we know Stephanie as for individuals with ADHD um, an attempt to try to insist that they be still and not move and um, not stand when others are sitting sometimes can make ADHD um, symptoms worse cause increased anxiety and cause uh, significant unhappiness in that that's why there's been a huge movement for good behavioral intervention. Um, I don't know if you saw the um, studies out of Florida um, that were done, the Squirm to Learn, where they found that individuals who were allowed movement in the classroom versus um, being made to be still and, and stay seated all the time Um Caused um, the kids who were allowed to move had better attention and better learning than the kids who were not allowed to move in the classroom. So I don't know if that relates somewhat to, I am not terribly familiar with um, what you're, the Traeger, um, but I I know some about the, the movement issue and how important it is in neurotransmission.
3: Yes. Well, this keynote speaker had done it, I think, in um, a high school. Uh That was a public high school. They didn't have any special equipment, but they did 30 minutes in the morning, and they outperformed the private schools in that area, specifically in math and science. Um, And his name, again, was John Ratay, R-A-T-A-Y. So Uh um, it seems like a very low-tech way of um, addressing some concentration issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and certainly that's the way we need to go. I think we know that um, that physical activity, physical movement is good for everybody. And to, to try to limit it on individuals is often the wrong way to go. So that's interesting. Thanks for calling and, and lending this information to us. Um, I appreciate your call, Stephanie. Thank you. All right. Well, I think with that, we'll go on to our our second break. We're talking about ADHD, ADHD across lifespan. And um, what can you do to help yourself if you think you might have um problems with inattention, and um, what do others do? What's a long-term outcome? Um, what are the real symptoms? And oh, please give us a call if you have any questions about it or just comments about what you've done for your ADHD at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and we'll be right back.
2: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and today we're talking about ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Clearly a neurodevelopmental disorder, um, big time genetically mediated disorder, uh, not not an effect from poor parenting, though a disorganized parent certainly can make things worse for that child with ADHD. It's also not a disorder caused by uh, sugar, simple sugars. Though in a very limited number of children, perhaps um, uh, refined sugar can make the symptoms worse. But there is some evidence from that from a nutritional standpoint, there may be some things that we need to do, we need to make sure we're doing, um, that can help along Um there are also some uh, physical things that we need to make sure that we do, so let's talk a little bit about that and if you have any thoughts or questions as we're moving along through this, I really would love to hear from you um, about your thoughts or maybe questions from a nutritional or or uh, uh, other physical standpoint what you've done, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one right. Well, let's talk about the nutritional issue first. Um, first of all, um, this will sometimes uh, get on my bandwagon about this, but from a nutritional standpoint, um, too many of us are taking the easy way out, the shortcut Way out. Um, uh, there was a story actually on NPR about the the number of households that depend significantly on fast foods to feed our children um, has been growing and growing. And um, I know we are uh, a time-limited group of individuals here in the U.S. We often are vastly overscheduled in the U.S., but from a nutritional standpoint, if you rely on fast foods, uh, typically we're looking at uh, foods that are very high in the kind of fats that we don't want, the saturated fats, um, and uh, high in uh, simple carbohydrates that are are just not good for us. They contribute to um, our society becoming overweight and, um, and undernourished, um, if that makes sense. So yes, you can be overweight and not be nourished properly. So what are some of the things that we need in our diet to be able to pay good attention? And this is when you start looking at these dietary supplements that are supposed to treat ADHD. Um, this is this is what they're hanging their hats on so my my um, urge to you is instead of going for some sort of dietary supplement if you can try to work on changing the diet so what do you want to change the diet to look like um, important to make sure that you have a good varied diet with with B vitamins in it, C vitamins. Um, you need to make sure that there's zinc and magnesium in the diet and omega-3 fatty acids. So the one that keeps being pointed to, omega-3 fatty acids. Um, the story, the the studies are still somewhat sketchy, but there is maybe some evidence out there that we still need to look at that as far as being able to have good executive function and good attention. Span and um, also omega three fatty acids are in um, nuts like almonds and pecans, walnuts. Also in fennel. Um, some of the other things that you can get omega three in is obviously uh, salmon, um, tuna, and um, other other fish in the sea. So. To to try to add that, if not daily, some in the diet. If your child is allergic or absolutely will not eat, it's probably not a bad idea to think about an omega three fatty acid supplement. Um, a good varied diet with um, meats, fruits, and vegetables will give you the other um, the the zinc, the magnesium that that one needs, and and all the vitamins, unless there not absorption. so you really need to think about uh, making sure that uh, you're trying to vary the diet and to try to step away from a high carb diet. We know that's not um, now. Complex carbohydrates are fine, and by complex carbohydrates, I'm talking about whole grain type uh, things rather than the, the the bleached out white stuff. So think about that. Okay, the other thing, we know that individuals with ADHD, it has been shown over and over and over again, they perform better if they're allowed to exercise. So incorporate 30 minutes a day of physical activity. It should not be that hard. If there's too much homework, you need to go to your school and and have a meeting with the school board, if nothing else, to talk about why your child has no time to get outside. The same thing needs to happen during the school day. A child needs to have a physical break during the school day. Every child will concentrate better, and there are studies that have shown individuals who have breaks during the day perform better than individuals who do not have physical activity and breaks during the day. The very worst thing, I and I say this every single time to parents who tell me recess has been taken away from a child because they didn't complete their work. That's the worst thing you can do. Take recess away, and then their work will be um, probably... Um, on a lesser uh, level than it would have been if if you'd let the child go, run around outside, get a little bit of that physical energy out, get that movement going. So don't allow a school to take your child's recess away. Teachers, if there are any out there who have any say, I implore you to not allow that to happen or principals out there. Very, very important. And then the last big sort of segment of what we need to address is something that um, I heard uh, by a, a researcher talk about just recently on NPR. We've known this, though, for years. Sleep is so very important for the ability to pay attention. And many individuals who have been diagnosed with ADHD, when they work on fixing sleep first, end up with fewer symptoms of ADHD than before. So it is known that children in general need somewhere between 8 and 10 hours of sleep. Adults need somewhere between 7 and 9 hours of sleep. It depends on who you are. But if you are inattentive, then, then the first thing that one needs to do before you go to medicine is look at your sleep, look at your sleep pattern, whether or not you really are getting good sleep. And then the other thing that I, I want to say to everyone is... Um because it the diagnostic criteria of ADHD are simply diagnostic criteria. It's a list of things that a teacher can say you have like not paying attention or a parent can say that you have like the hyperactivity or disorganization or losing things easily. That is a list. Um, So before you, even if, uh, parents say you're inattentive and uh, school says you're inattentive, or if your spouse says you're inattentive, make sure from a physical standpoint you're healthy. Um, I already said sleep. I already said from a nutritional standpoint. But you also need to make sure that there is no iron deficiency anemia going on out there that's undiscovered. That your thyroid is functioning very well. A thyroid that is, it kind of, um, your thyroid controls sort of the metabolism and the energy use in your body. Okay. And so if it's working. Too rapidly, if it's at too high a rate, you can be jittery and hyperactive. Um, from that, your blood pressure can be up. If it's too low, you can be lethargic and tired and slow moving, and your blood pressure can be low, and that can cause problems. So you need to make sure that as you're um, looking at a potential diagnosis for ADHD, that you've looked at the whole body not just part of it. And you need to make sure all of that has been ruled out. And then the other thing that we talked about with one of our callers earlier is from a mood and an anxiety standpoint, if you are depressed or if you are overly anxious, you are likely not going to be able to pay attention. So you need to make sure that, that your inattention is not because you are so sad and overwhelmed that you don't have the energy to pay attention. You need to make sure that you are not so anxious and overwhelmed by the anxiety that there is no way that you're going to be able to read that paragraph and really absorb what you need to because your mind is elsewhere. So those are all the things as we're looking at ADHD and the rise and the diagnosis and treatment of ADHD, I want us to think about as we're moving forward, whether you're moving forward for yourself or your child or another loved one. Just think through that and make sure that you're taking hold of of your health care. You are in charge. You need to take charge. So... Thanks, everybody, for listening. Today's show was engineered by my producer, Jay White. Our call screener was Java Chapman. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. If you want to listen to this show today in its entirety, certainly get on the uh, the podcast and take a listen. Love for you to do that. And I hope you'll stay tuned now for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.